So hello everybody and welcome back to Folk on Falcons. I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is... Ian Joseph. As always, you can find us on social media. Yep, so on Facebook, uh, of course, it's our normal picture, us two smiling at Toulon, and that is simply Folk on Falcons. And on Twitter, again, it's the same beaming, smiling picture. This time it is at Folk on Falcons. Okay, so this week we're going to review our victory against Bath. Look forward to Wasps next week. Chat a little bit about a couple of other rugby matters going on in the world. And then a round of the Premiership results. Uh, still not going to really bother with the table because it's not worth it yet. And um, the regional roundup as well. This week we're joined by a special guest called Matthew. He is a Falcons fan who was fortunate enough to be at the wreck at the weekend. So Matthew, how have you ended up in Bath? And what was it like around the ground? Yeah, it's always nice to go down to Bath. Um, lovely place to go. Um, and really nice stadium. And very friendly fans as well. Um, particularly because there weren't that many Falcons fans there. But it's always good fun in the ground. Um, yeah, I'm down in the southwest now to try and get as far as the sort of Gloucester, Bristol and Bath games each season. OK, um, so you initially a Falcons fan, are you? Yeah, yeah, from, from Newcastle. Um, originally, uh, was taken along by my granddad most a lot of the time and then season ticket growing up and then sadly moved away. So can't get to as many games anymore. And a little birdie tells me you work for Dyson. So does that mean you're lining the pockets of our uh, rivals in the Premiership? Yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> or... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, pretty much. But it means I get discounted tickets to back in, so that's all right. Oh, there we go. You need to start a little black market on that one. So around the ground on the day, you said there weren't many Falcons fans. Um, when I've been there in the past, it's always been few and far between. I think it's probably because of the, the distance and the geography. Um, were, there, were there any in your vicinity or were there, was there a little clump somewhere? I know that sometimes you get a, a group of 10 or 15 that might have made the journey down. Like there was, about, there was one about 10 seats to one side of me about one about 10 rows back and then I think there must have been a club a clump of them somewhere because a half-halted Falcons chant went up at one point but didn't really gather much momentum um so yeah I mean it didn't seem any at all um but the ones who were there were pretty happy I think good and I guess you're one of the few that Falcons fans that actually managed to watch it live some of us were listening to the Radio Newcastle commentary and also the the matches on um the Premiership Rugby website you can watch the whole lot back, the full 80 minutes. But I, I did, um, it was uploaded a couple of days ago um, after the match had finished, obviously. So reviewing the match from what I've seen, it looks like the Falcons absolutely dominated once again, but couldn't quite manage to get over the try line four times. Was it a similar sort of atmosphere inside the ground? Were people pleased with what they were seeing? Um, or I guess the Bath fans wouldn't have been, but when you're at a game and one team is thoroughly dominating, you kind of see it in the, the home fans, they aren't terribly happy. Does it feel like that inside the ground? Was there that atmosphere? Yeah, it was the sort of atmosphere where, I don't know, I went to the game either Bristol or Gloucester a couple of years ago, and every time we got the ball, we just kicked it back. And the fans start groaning every time they get the ball and they see the train coming out the back of the And the Bath fans were groaning every time they saw that because... I don't know how much possession or territory they had in the first half, but they basically kicked it back to us every single time um, and just gave us the ball back, um, which worked quite well for us. Um, and yeah, we scored the three tries sort of down the end of the pitch that we were sitting at. So that was that was all right by me. Um, but yeah, I think they were getting pretty frustrated with what they were doing. And then when they did get some ball, the rain started slightly and they kept on dropping it. So they were pretty frustrated by the end, I think. The game started off well. Um... Our, this season's Falcon special seems to be getting tries disallowed. Fern's got one disallowed quite early on. I'm not quite sure what it was for, whether it was for a knock-on or something at the back of a scrum. But um, he looked quite disappointed once again. That's two two tries and two matches he's had ruled out. And then a few minutes later, there was a, a moment of brilliance by Radwan. Was it one of the ones where the Bath fans, as soon as he caught the ball, kind of put their head in their hands? Or um, was it just as good to watch on uh, there live as it was on the, the replay? I mean, it was 
brilliant because he just didn't see it coming. It was sort of, oh, the ball's going along the line. Oh, we scored. It was just sort of, he was just cut through like there was nobody in front of him. Um, and yeah, you, you wouldn't have seen it coming. It just sort of looked like some phase play we were going through. They were defending quite well, actually. And then Radwan gets the ball and just cuts them up. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, and then um, a bit later on in the first half, our, our line-out started firing and uh, we got one of these funny ones from McGuigan where it's a, a line-out move and you get your front row running in from 20 yards. It's always nice to see. Yeah, McGuigan doing a Radwan, I think. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure he'd love to hear that. A couple of things need to be mentioned. Um, Hayden Wood looked relatively assured ball in hand, but um, off the tee, he missed a couple of kicks which you might have expected him to get. But um, in the second half, we started once again dominating, but... We just couldn't get that try. And it looked like the Bath Pack had had a telling off at half-time and they'd changed their tactics defending the malls and that was a bit more successful for them. But it seemed like Paul considered we have a plan B. We kept trying to go to the corner and it didn't work. And I think someone once said about Jonah Lomu that he was the biggest problem that New Zealand ever had because they couldn't get the ball to him every, every single time. And I think that um, our wingers, not just Radwan, Stevenson, I'm sorry, Stevens as well, don't really get the ball from our centres, which... Um, when, when they're more arguably our most potent attacking force, we need to consider whether our centres are really going to be the ones that see us through the season. Yeah, I mean, it was it was weird because it was almost the most frustrated I felt coming away from what was a good victory because we scored 20 points in the first half and none in the second and we just kept getting penalties, kicking it to the corner. And then our line-out just didn't seem to fire in the same way um, in the second half. Or, yeah, like you say, I mean, Bath basically turned up and actually defended it and competed in the lineups. So that was something they didn't really do much of in the first half. But they started competing in the second half and that threw us off a bit. And then, yeah, it just never really got along the line. There was one half-hearted kick through when we had advantage. Um, it looked a bit like Radwan had picked up a knock in the first half, actually, and it was sort of being managed a bit through the game. But um don't know whether there was much to that. I mean, I think he's been um, off on, this week, so... On, on, the, on the video footage, I think that had there been a bit more television coverage live, he may have had an HIA. It looked to me in the first half like he got a, uh, he bumped off someone and looked a, a little bit dazed. And I'm not sure he's really at the races from then on in. Um, hopefully he's all right and it wasn't anything too serious. We could have had another try when um, whoever it was got absolutely knocked out cold because we were three, but obviously they had to stop the game because he was properly gone. Yeah. I didn't really see what happened in the, the um, screen at Bath is so far down the other side that we couldn't really see the replays either. Yeah, it was one of these ones where Yes, we it wasn't a try disallowed, but had the referee not blown, we almost certainly would have scored. And yeah, we, we got the scrum without putting because of our possession, but it was certainly not a, you could call it a fair outcome in terms of the game. But I think it's one of these things where you've just got to go with it when it's a head injury, unfortunately. One thing Ian and I have been talking about this season is um, Stevenson in the centres. Um, I've got a few doubts over him as a centre. Ian, what, what do you think? Um I know you haven't seen the full match back yet, but um, the bits that you have seen, um, have you any further thoughts from previous weeks? Yeah, well, it does seem to be a continuation or certainly from what I could hear or bits of highlights I've seen. Uh, yeah, a continuation of perhaps a problem that we do have at centres at the moment where it's not quite clicking. They didn't really kind of add to the back line so much. Um you know, you've just mentioned it before about how when it has gone through the phases and um, it has gone through the hands, it, it can sort of break down. And I think also in attack, there isn't quite that kind of X factor in the centres which you see some other teams do have. Um, I also think that also they don't make necessarily make the ground as perhaps you would maybe expect some centres to do. Um, I, I kind of almost don't feel that it's in many ways an attacking option for us at the moment. You know, where you know when we do get people like Orlando and Burrell back, it could be a little while till they come back. 
you know, this is obviously the pairing which is favoured. And I think I think there's work to be done there. Obviously, it's a new pairing and you've obviously got Stevenson, who's obviously very new to the position. But I think um, it's something that does need to address. And maybe that is sent sort of symptomatic as to why we haven't been able to get the bonus point tries in the last two games when, you know, arguably our performance sort of merits it, really. I don't think seems necessarily a bad centre, but I just feel like when he's paired up with someone like Lukaku, who I actually think was extremely good at the weekend, but he's pretty one-dimensional. He doesn't. He's a, he's a good carrier of the ball. He's good in defence, but he, he's not the sort of person that will do a... Uh, put someone through a gap or do an offload out the back of the hands and put someone, or put someone into space. And I think that when Stevenson's paired up with him, maybe there isn't quite that cutting edge or bit of dynamism that we need. Um, I think they also need to build an understanding, really, don't they? And uh, it's difficult, as, as we said, for Stevenson, who's just gone into that position. And, you know, he, perhaps he is a player who does need a bit of space to get going because we, we all know how quick he is. We know what, what a good finisher he is. But perhaps, you know, as a centre, you don't necessarily get that, that space as you, you would on the wing. Um, we know what Lukok's about. And to be fair to Lukok, yes, you know, maybe we are criticising at the moment, but he hasn't played badly in the last two games by any means. And certainly had a very strong end to, to last season. So I'm not saying by any means he doesn't want his place, but it's exactly as you said there. It's very one-dimensional. You don't really kind of expect, and I use the phrase again, sort of an X factor from him, which, you know, in, in a league which is so tight against teams which are all, in many ways, as good as each other on the day, you kind of need that extra kind of spark there. And maybe at the moment, at least, it just that just kind of isn't there. While we're looking at the squad, I know that our starting front rows, War, Trev and Muapola weren't playing. The replacements certainly did themselves justice for the selection, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, for, from what I could say, I mean, Paul Brockelbach seemed to do really, really well. And I thought he was really good last week as well. But we've talked about this, haven't we, in terms of our forwards. And even in the front row, we have really, really good strength and depth and even Tampin, I thought with what I've seen him in this season when he's come on is look, isn't really good. Palferman as well. And for, I mean unfortunately obviously he got an injury, didn't he? So he was off pretty early. But even then his performance prior to that, from what I could understand and then see, was pretty good. So you know, great. That's never a new option there in the front row. So we seem to be pretty well stocked in that department. Yeah, and um, Gary Graham made his first appearance of the season and he, he almost scored an intercept try from 60 yards, which I'm sure he'd have told everyone sundry about for the rest of his career. But um, yeah, ultimately got blown up for a penalty for a, for a deliberate knock-on. But um, I think it was a bit harsh. I think it was probably one of those ones where had, had it been a bit more space between him and the passer or something, he probably would have got away with it or maybe just caught it, but ends up being a penalty. But it was the last few minutes. Um, Matthew, as, as the game went on, do you... Did the atmosphere change? Because it, and I did get the feeling watching it on TV that the Bath players had noticed that it was only two tries in it and the game wasn't gone. Had the fans also noticed that? Yeah, there was just a bit of a shift in momentum towards the back end of the game and the fans picked up on it and they really started going for it. And that did seem to drive Bath on to... I mean, in the end, they got the bonus points. It didn't matter if they went for the corner to try and score a try or if they went for the three points, they weren't going to win and bonus point was easy with the kick. But... Yeah, the fans definitely got on board. I don't know, it just it looked a bit like going back to the sort of centres thing that when in sort of phase play, we kind of go back slightly, go backwards, go backwards. It's in broken play that we look really, really good. And I guess that's when you've got an extra winger on the pitch, effectively, who was really good in broken play last season, that we look like we can just cut people open. But yeah, sort of Bath's defence kind of seemed to come through towards the back end of the game. They put in some big tackles, made some turnovers, and then started just pushing up the pitch and pushing up the pitch and they started spreading the ball wide. And I think they kicked 
a couple of times in behind, one that landed, I don't know, maybe a metre or so in front of the 22. And I think that then meant that our wingers definitely held further back and they did just sort of start to get around the, the sides of us. So you had Robert Aguni who should have scored but dropped it and a few other bits like that where they, they basically seemed to play a lot more intelligently in the second half and the fans started really getting on board rather than getting on their backs like they were in the first half, really. Yeah, um, watching the highlights online, um, I certainly counted maybe half a dozen occasions where Bath did simple handling errors or a forward pass or um, ran as their own man or whatever. It's these things where they, they were getting a good momentum up there, broken play, a, a different ball to hand. They may well have ended up with a try at various points in the game, but fortunately for us, it didn't come off. But um, I think that's the difference between maybe the Bath we played that this week and the Harlequins we played last week, that when Harlequins had that broken play, they weren't fumbling passes around. Um, and you also you also mentioned Bath playing intelligently. Um, one thing that I noticed, uh, it's quite good when you watch it on the Premiership Rugby website, actually, is because you can fast forward all of phases of play where it's really slow. So when, as soon as someone drops it, you can save two minutes of your life by just going through until the ball comes into, goes into the scrum. And when Bath had their man in the sin bin, um, there was one minute 40 left on the stopwatch for the sin bin. And Bath spent an age getting to the scrum. It then got reset twice. Uh, Gary Graham, it was his first scrum of the game, so he thought, oh, this would be a good one to, for him to get a shunt on. But then Bath managed to wind down the clock such that their sin bin player came back on and they successfully wound down one minute 40 by collapsing scrums and whatever. I'm getting increasingly frustrated about the amount of time that scrums take to get set. And I'm thinking that a basketball-style stop clock should be in force um, because it'll stop this sort of time-wasting tactically when you've got a player in the sin bin. But also in the first few minutes of the match, um, there wasn't much rugby played at all. And you certainly notice it online when you fast forward the breaks in play. I think the first 10 minutes it was only about three or four minutes of actual rugby played. Yeah, so in the ground, I don't know in the ground what it was like, whether people were getting a bit bored to begin with or whether it's not so noticeable when you're at the game. But certainly when you're watching it online, you've got the ability to fast forward. It does feel a bit like that. Yeah, I mean, it was certainly noticeable on the grounds. I'd taken a friend of our son, he must be 11 or 12, to his first ever game of sort of rugby live. And, you know, we managed to haul them over their own try line and get that five-metre scrum, I think it was about a minute and a half into the game. And we didn't move from that position until 10 minutes were on the clock. And it was just a bit naff because it was just scrum resets, the pitch got cut up, we moved sideways slightly, we did it again. I mean, admittedly, we got given a few scrum penalties and went for scrum, so it was partially of our own making. But we were in that corner for ages. And then one of their players went off injured and just... the. You notice in the last 10 minutes of the game, the refs are much quicker to stop the clock for scrum resets than they are in the first 10 minutes. And you think, I don't know, you need to do something about this, whether it's you have 20 seconds to get ready for a scrum or it's a free kick or something like that, just to kind of speed it up because it was, yeah, it just wasn't great to watch. Yeah, I think I would just, um, it's obviously different at the amateur game to the, the amateur game to the professional game, but I think I'd make it just so that as soon as the referee blows his whistle for any break in play, the clock stops until the ball's back in play. And you might shorten the halves to half an hour. At the minute, I'm not sure you get even 25 minutes of playing time. Um, I feel like it certainly depends on the game as well and the conditions and things, but I, you should probably take the average of the amount of time balls in play after studying a few seasons worth of rugby, round it, to the, round it up to the nearest five minutes, and then say that's the amount of time the ball's got to be in play for in a match, a bit like how they do in basketball. I mean, I can't see why nowadays, with the technology there, why you can't just stop the clock and then start it as soon as... The, the scrum sets. So as soon as there's contact in the scrum, you know, as soon as the packs come together, that's when you can restart it. 
Um, or even, or even if you want to, I guess you could have it when the scrub half puts the ball in, perhaps. Yeah. Then you can start from there because it, you know, we all know that the time wasting is, is the period before that. To, to me, it just seems almost sort of like a an archaic leftover from before. You know, clocks were stopped more often. We did have more of the technology. I mean, I suppose yes, it is class as, as part of the game. Still, it, it, it is in play, but. As, as you say, I think um, the amount of time it will save and, and just for generally for speeding up the game. And, and that seems to me that the, the sort of the thing at the moment is trying to make it more enjoyable to watch. And if that it means speeding it up, then surely this has got to be like an area that, that can be looked at. And I think it'd be, I think we'd all agree with a pretty easy fix as well. And it would, it would stop time wasting, obviously, sort of dead, wouldn't it? I think overnight. Yeah, and you could also have um, almost a countdown timer like they do in certain sports for once the scrum's got set, the team putting the ball in, they've got 15 seconds to their front row to get there. And then the other team have got five seconds from that point to get their front row there. If there's an injury, obviously stop the, stop the game and there'll be a delay. But you could really start getting the game motoring along because so often it, uh, it just seems to be a, a tactic from one or both teams for the front rows to have a bit of a rest and slow the game down for all the fans. It's, it's not what people pay good money to go and watch the rugby for. So, uh, I mean, Matthew alluded it just before about how he came away from, from the ground a bit disappointed. And I think I think most of us would have been as well. I mean, you know, let's not get anything wrong. I mean, a, way, a win away at Bath traditionally is not a happy underground for us. It's obviously a brilliant result. And I think 99% of us would have taken a win but before the, the game kicked off. I think the, the worry is sort of the back of your, your mind already is a bit like last season where when we did win, we just weren't collecting bonus points and at the same time we're allowing other teams to, to collect bonus points and it is frustrating that we were on top for the vast majority of the game and it just seems like that despite being on top despite all that pressure we just couldn't get that bonus point try and the worry is that this is sort of becoming a theme and we just got to hope it doesn't cost us in the season I guess because you know we always talk about how tight the league is and obviously points do matter and one or two points here and there it could make the difference and you know we do expect even at this stage that Bath will be in and around us I'm sure at the end of the season and the fact is we've got a point and the fact is rather they did get a point out of that despite you know, not really turning up for most of the game. Um, so I think we've got to try and rectify this sooner rather than later, really. Yeah. Um, if we look at the end of last season, when it boiled down to it, um, every team in that mix was within a point or two of each other for the Heineken Cup spots. And I guess if if we don't get a point every week over the course of a season, that's 15, 20 points go begging potentially. And if we give opposition point sides the point, then at the end of the season, that'll be another two points uh, into the the fray and it will it will decide positions. Um, we were very close at the end actually to getting a bonus point try, but unfortunately the re- the referee got in the way of Blamaya, so he had to pull it back. Whereas I'm pretty sure if the referee hadn't got in the way, Blamaya would have still scored and wouldn't have pulled it back. But yeah, there we are, another Falcon special try disallowed. That's what's that? Six tries in two games we've had disallowed now, which uh, would kind of nullify the the bonus point issue. Um, but we would have won last week as well, actually, if we'd have scored that, that extra try. But yeah, it didn't happen and we might have to suffer because of it. It's also, it's it's denying bonus points as well. So if we had got that try at the end, you know, would Bath have been able to get to seven? Possibly not. So, you know, it's not just obviously us getting the try bonus point. It's it's denying teams bonus, having that sort of killer instinct to kind of deny teams as much points as possible. Yeah. And that's something we, we do need to improve on. Yeah, talking of that killer instinct, um, certainly not something that Wasps lacked at the weekend. They're more like Hornets than Wasps, the, the way they put away the Bristol Bears. 
Yeah, so I mean, it was seemed pretty close uh, up to a point, but in the second half, they just sort of completely cut away. And what was surprising was, I mean, obviously not just the, the score itself, um, or even the fact that fact that Wasp won, but it was the Wasp team was by no means a full strength team, and they just completely put Bristol to the sword. Uh, I don't know, but uh, Bristol kind of maybe suffering a hangover from the, the kind of end of season failure. I mean, this does happen. You just you do see it in sports sometimes where a team that does go because it does get so close to sort of ultimate glory and fails. Does they do get a hangover from it? It does take time to recover. Perhaps the same with Exeter, which I'm sure we'll talk about as well later. Um, and that's why that could be a reason as to why we bizarrely see both these teams sort of propping up the table I, I'm sure Bristol will kind of right themselves it may take a few games for, for them to kind of get it right I'm not sure actually Bristol which could be an interesting point because this was talked about in the London Irish sale game a lot of teams haven't actually had any preseason games they've decided not to deliberately do preseason games in order to sort of save you know save bodies and, and sort of fitness um, and I, I don't know maybe it does work and maybe it doesn't work for some teams but yeah what a bizarre result that was and we've already had yeah. a few of them already this season yeah so we've got bristol in i think mid-october and uh extra at the start of november and i'm not sure the hangover will be quite that long we might have a bit of hair of the dog by that point in time but um certainly wasps who we're up against next weekend just got the winds in their sails and could be a very challenging game kibberigaro player getting on the score shift the weekend along with half the rest of the team it has to be said what what what, what do you think it's going to look like at the weekend do you, how do you think it's going to pan out Ian? um i have to admit i'm slightly concerned i don't think we'll play badly i think you know the last two games have shown i mean obviously we're going to play well every week but the last two games have shown that i don't think we're going to be easy for any team um it's just it, it links to what we've just been talking about before about that sort of killer instinct and scoring tries and that i do worry that despite how good our defence is, we're just going to be outscored. Now, obviously, I know that means, you know, that that's how you lose a game, but um, I, I just can't see us sort of outscoring Wasps at the moment, the kind of form they're in. Now, I know, yes, they've only played the one game because they have the first team to have a break, but if they kind of continue in that form, I mean, can you really see us scoring up to, you know, late 30s, 40 points against a team of that quality? I mean, unfortunately, I suspect not. Um, so I think it could be... A tough afternoon. I, I do think it'd be closer than, than obviously their result of the weekend, but unfortunately, I think it will, will be a loss for that one. One thing that um, we can say about that is the conditions will certainly be different. I think last weekend was the last throws of summer. This weekend coming up looks like, from the forecast as it sends the minutes, the first throws of autumn. And by Jove, it looks like it's come with a come with a vengeance. Well, yeah, I mean, it's always a home advantage, really is home advantage for us. I mean, again, I mean, that could work in our favour in the sense that it won't be as free-flowing and maybe Moss won't be able to quite help themselves as many points as they did last weekend. But again, I just, unfortunately, being the pessimist I am, is I could they have the ability to, to score lots of points. And um, whilst the points may not be as much as in dry conditions and, and with them playing at home, I do worry it's just going to be a little bit too much for us. And our, plus our record at home at Wasps is pretty dire anyway, just to kind of fight in the, in the pessimistic mix, unfortunately. Yeah, certainly. Um, I think we can all have our fingers crossed. And I, I do actually think that Falcons, um, thus far, aside from the outside channel where we've discussed um, where there might be a couple of issues and see what happens there, I think that on the whole we have actually defended pretty well. So um, we might be able to do what Bristol couldn't and that's keep Wasps off the score sheet at least for 
a lot longer or more effectively for the duration of the game. So uh, fingers crossed. Moving on to matters elsewhere in the rugby world, it's not a huge amount that's happened this week, apart from the Premiership Rugby Cup results have, or sorry, not the results, the fixtures have been announced. It looks like they've done it vaguely geographically. Um, Ian, can you remind us who's now a group? Yes, so off the top of my head, uh, so we have Wasps, Sale and Northampton. So And Leicester. And Leicester. So I say vaguely geographical, you know, they sort of shove Midlands into the north like they do for all these things. Um, yeah, so, um, but it, what's odd about the fixtures is uh, it appears to be some, seems to be at the weekend, uh, some appear to be midweek. I, I suspect the, the reason why some of the weekend is because the it's uh, Autumn Internationals, and I think it's just a good opportunity to kind of shove the cup competition in there and rest kind of the, the league fixtures um, and have them not clash. But yeah, I mean, it's obviously it's nice to have it back. I mean, we've spoken in the past few months about how there was a, definitely a need for the competition and and they've, they've done the right thing by, by bringing it back. I mean, it's still obviously not anything like it was in its glorious days, but I think we've got a chance, actually. I really do. I mean, but we've talked about how, you know, well, Richard certainly mentions how skinny the squad is, but it's certainly, whilst perhaps skinny in numbers, it's certainly not skinny in in quality. Um, and I think well, we can have a really good shot at it, actually. But we'll see what happens. But, you know, the, at the end of the day, it, it is nice just to stab it back. And it's more rugby as well, isn't it? Yeah, um, our, as you say, our, our autumn ones on Saturday or Sunday, and then I think the final two fixtures in the end of March, midweek. So um, it'll also be nice to go to a midweek game because um, that's something I remember doing as a boy, but you barely get them anymore, apart from if there's um, something funny goes on with weather or fixtures or whatever. But, yeah, it's a real, not a novelty, but... Um, bit of a throwback to midweek rugby and I think people actually quite enjoy going there after work. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see sort of what crown numbers. I think it also depends on sort of how well we do. I do genuinely believe that if we are doing pretty well, you probably would see a good, you know, three or four thousand turn up for a, for, for a cup game, which, which would be nice. Um, and you say it's not so much a novelty, but I think it would be a nice sort of novelty and a nice change to kind of watch a bit of midweek rugby under the floodlights. Yeah, and um, is it included in season tickets or is it a, you got pay extra for it? It is, no. So if you are seeking to get hold out there, it is included. So all the games are included. So obviously you have the Challenge Cup games included in that as well. Certainly the, the group games uh, will be in there. I guess the group games with this one, with the Premiership Cup, will be included as well. So yeah, if you've got a season ticket, then, you know, get on down there, I suppose. Very good. Um, we, we mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, something else going on in the rugby world. Um, and you just touched on European rugby there. Yeah, it's our opposition in Europe in... January or February, sometime in vaguely winter, um, or January. slap back in the middle of winter, in January. Um, they've now formally applied to European rugby to have their European games played in Lille, um, as opposed to Buritz. And we said it's like the equivalent of Exeter applying to have their games played in Berwick or somewhere. It very is very much a, an odd move, but um, I think it could actually make travel a little bit easier because the Eurostar goes to Lille, so you can get your train down from Newcastle to King's Cross, walk across to St Pancras, choo-choo through Kent, um, across the Channel and end up in Lille. Um, from Central Station, Newcastle to Lille, if you timed it right, it's probably five and a half hours when you throw in, um, having to wait around uh, um, after the security check-in. But yeah, that, that's sharp contrast to getting to Buritz, which looks like you've got to fly to Santander or Bordeaux or somewhere and then navigate your way around through France by getting higher cars or buses and things because it doesn't work as a good rail network in that part of France. So um, potentially advantageous for travel, but certainly means that your your little southern French road trip, which you had planned in, 
it's going to be very much a, a long distance road trip. Well, now. yeah, I mean, uh, me and I'm sure others are quite keen to sort of get this booked up. Uh, but I think, as you say, if it is going to be Lille, and it does look very likely, I don't think there's any reason why European rugby will, will say no. I think you're right. It'd be sort of Eurostar and then maybe a flight from Paris or Lille. I don't even fly direct from Lille to, to, to Marseille, I think, and then sort of do what, what we did and hire a car or just get the train from, from Marseille to, to Toulon. So, and they're just one weekend after each other. So you can spend a week in France, I suppose, which I think is what I might try and do. I mean, I'm sure there's probably lots of other Falcons fans on there sort of looking at their, you know, sky scanners or whatever it is to sort of work out the logistics of it all. But um, yeah, no, I mean, as long as it's all confirmed and, you know, you're not going to have any red lists or bans or anything. I, I'm, something I'm definitely eyeing up. I'm sure many others are as well. Yeah, it's something where it's very tempting, but two issues. One is it's the middle of January, so it's hardly the time that I would love to be spending my week in France. It'd be much better if they did it the first week of the season or um, the last week of the season. Obviously, it wouldn't work so well for getting the rest of the tournament played last week of the season. But if they'd have if they'd have rolled it forward um, to the start of the season, it could have been quite good fun. And then. Secondly, like you say, the COVID situation, I think it might be one where I hold off and hold off and hold off. And I imagine there'll be lots of flights and lots of seats on trains because no one's going to be booking too much at the minute for that point in time. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure whether I'll go to both, but I'll certainly try and get to the Leo one because it might be a bit easier for me. After last week's episode was recorded, the England training squad was released and as suspected, the, uh, the suspects from the summer internationals um, have made it into the training squad, all four of them, Blamaya. Chick, Radwan, and Davison. Um, Robinson missed out, which I think, if I'm honest, is a bit unfortunate given that he got injured in a training camp for England. So I think his form of the season has been superb. But um, yeah, it's the 45 man squad that will then get filtered down to um, the, the eventual 23 or 25, or whatever it ends up being for the Autumn Internationals. Obviously, we wish every luck to the Falcons players. Well, it's not luck. I think every single one of them could justifiably play for England. And, to be deserving of the place. Um, but it might have an impact on how our performance is if that we do lose a couple of players. I'm almost certain Radwan will end up in the final team. But, um, yeah, I think Davison may end up going that way as well. And uh, um, there's every chance that Blamire and Chick could as well. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe it's, it's obviously a good thing the Premiership Cup is going to be the autumn weekend, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, I think we do kind of want them to, to all be selected in the England squad. As long as it's... As long as it doesn't negatively affect us too much, but I think the squad is strong enough actually to, to sort of fill the gaps, even if we do lose the likes of Radwan. Obviously, he's a massive player for us, um, but we know we've spoken about before we got such quality out the wings anyway. I'd hopefully wouldn't make too much of, of a difference. Um, but yeah, I mean, they all deserve to be there, and I look forward to them to hopefully running out for England in the Autumn Internationals. Fingers That'd crossed. Be bri- brilliant to see that, and even if they don't make it to the the final squad. Hopefully they managed to pick up a few tips from War Eddie and uh, come back better players because of it. Finally this week, if we do a quick roundup of rugby nationwide and in the region, um, on Friday night, Gloucester got beaten by Leicester, 26 points to 33. Obviously they picked up a losing bonus point there. On Saturday, aside from our victory against Bath, we had Exeter losing narrowly to Northampton, 24 points to 26. Harlequins at home beat Worcester 35-29, so a bonus point for Worcester there. Worcester, as we said, put Bristol to the sword, 44-8 winners, and then there was our game. Um, on Sunday, London Irish drew with Sale, so that's a bit of a tilt for books. You don't get that too often, especially at 31 points apiece, but it meant there was a three-point draw for each of them because they each got four tries. 
I'm not going to go over through the table because I don't think it's worth much at this point. But what I will say is Falcons a slap bang in the middle uh, in seventh, which is unsurprising given they've won one and lost one. Go around the region's rugby results. Not quite such a promising week for the Northeast teams. Uh, the Wanderers gone. Darlington got beaten by Rosslyn Park in National League One. In League Two North, Bladen and Tyndale both got convincingly beaten by Rotherham and Stabridge, uh, respectively. Annex game with Lim was postponed, but Billingham uh, turned around the Northeast's prospects with 54-3 win to Northwich. Nothing particularly to write home about for our teams in uh, one northeast, apart from Morpeth had a good victory. And then when we get to Durham and Northumberland, Division 1, there's points, points, points all over the place. Um, pick of them arguably being Sunderland beating Whitley Bay Rockcliffe. Um, and then you've got um, the usual the usual scores late, lower down the, the leagues. And it has, a shout has to be given to Wall's End, who beat Jerovians 104-0. I think one team certainly went to the pub a bit cheerier than the other. And Prudersotfield also got a fantastic result against South Shields, 164-0. Right, so we give thanks to Matthew, our roving reporter down in Bath. And um, it's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from Ian. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs>